You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Morning. Everybody good? Good, good, good. I love that video. You like that video? That was really good, wasn't it? And you could not even tell that was me in that video, could you? <laughs> they did such a good job. I didn't want anybody to know that that was me. But um, yeah, they did a good job covering that up. Um, anyway, we're glad you're here. If you're visiting for the first time, man, we're excited you're here. Um, excited about what Jesus is doing. Uh, here today already and just believing that God has some great things in store for us today as we continue uh, to look into his word. Um, Last week we started out with a a prequel, so to speak, of uh, this series that we're jumping into, Verses. Um, Before we get going this morning into the message, I do want to just remind you one more time, if you are here today and you're not a part of a connect group, um, I really want to encourage you to become part of a connect group. It's one of the ways that we make a big church feel small. Um, it's a way you, you, you connect and invest in community. And uh, you see a lot of people running around here today with green shirts on that says, um, I'm in the best connect group ever. Well, we want you to be in the best connect group ever. And you can do that today as you walk out the back doors. You're going to see a bunch of those folks with green shirts on who are going to be there to welcome you and help you find a group to be in and get signed up. And, and we want to help you um, find other folks to do life with. Um, that's what connect groups are. Is it's people we do life together with. We grow in the scriptures together. Um, we walk um, through the good and the bad times together. And so we want you to be a part of that. Um, and so if you're not in a connect group, I highly encourage you today as you go out, at least check them out and uh, give it a shot and see what you think. But um, we want you to be a part of that and uh, be a part of this community of believers um, that we believe God's going to use um, along with others in this community uh, to change Statesboro and change the world. So we want you to be a part of that. Um, we are going to continue this series uh, and really getting into it today on um, this series verses where we're looking at um, uh, this Christian culture versus um, an authentic faith. This Christian culture versus authentic faith in Christ. What does it mean? What is what is an authentic Christianity versus um, a culture of Christianity? Most of us, if we've grown up in the South, are familiar with a culture of Christianity. But the thing and the most prevalent thing I see in church many, many times over and over again, the most prevalent thing is, is that I see people who grew up in a church culture, but oftentimes don't have a relationship with Christ. Um, and that's what this whole thing is about. It's about knowing Christ. Um, it's about being in a relationship with him and, and, and all that comes with that from not just the forgiveness of sins, which if that were all, that would be enough, but, but the, the abundant joy that comes from being in this relationship with him. And so we're going to be looking at that um, again the next three weeks, and I uh, hope you'll be here for that. Today, we're going to be in Philippians chapter three. Last week, we were in Philippians chapter two. Um, so we're just going to go one chapter over. And we're going to be in verses 1 through 11 today. And my prayer is, as we were singing the song, Praise Him, and we we kept singing, um, let your light shine, you know, um, and the whole world sing. And and the thing that I want us today to to, to see and to to hear and, and what I want to happen in your heart is that the light of God would shine in your heart, that it would illuminate it, and that He would point you to Himself. That you would, if you're not, be in a relationship with him. I'm like you've never known before. Even if you've been walking with him for 30, 40 years, my prayer is that all of the, 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 the fluff and all of the stuff that we so often make our relationship with Jesus about and we make church about and we make reading our Bible about and we make prayer about, that all of that would be stripped away and that we could hone in, focus in on Christ and our relationship with him. Um, so first of all, before we get going, I want to pray for us and then we're going to I'm gonna, we're going to try to hit this message like, uh, like my buddy was hitting that punching bag. I don't know if I can do that. He's pretty beastly. But anyway, we're going to uh, pray and then we're going to jump in. Here we go. Lord, thank you so much for this day. 
Thank you for the opportunity to worship you, to know you. Thank you for your word that is powerful, that is living and active. God, that pierces our hearts. And I pray, God, today that you would lay our hearts open and shine your light in. God, that it would illuminate the darkness, that it would illuminate all the things, God, that, that not aren't of you. And that we could come into the full joy of knowing and having a relationship with you. We love you and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to ask a question to begin, and, and this one is, is, how many of you have ever done something that you worked really hard at it, or you worked at it, and then you got to the end of it, and you look back, and it didn't turn out to be what you thought it was going to be? Or you look back, and you said, that's been a little bit or a lot of a waste of time. Anybody ever done that? You worked real hard, you look back. Yeah, I used to get halfway through papers sometimes, and be writing, and writing, and writing, and be like, I can't turn that in, and have to start over. Uh, one of the things many of us do every single day that, that I kind of feel that way about is making up a bed, right? I don't get it. I'm like, in about 12, 14 hours, I'm getting right back in that thing. And why am I going to make it up, right? I kind of feel the same about cutting grass. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's going to grow back. Why cut it? You know, it's just going to come right back. And so there's things in life that we do um, that we look back on and we're like, man, that was kind of a waste of time. It was kind of a waste of energy. Now, here's, a, here's another thought. What if you woke up one day and you realized that everything you'd been putting your effort toward, everything you'd been spending your life on, everything that you'd been exerting energy, sweating for, um, um, really giving your life for, what if you woke up one day and realized it was worthless? What if you woke up one day and realized that it couldn't do for you what you thought it could do? That'd be kind of depressing, right? You wake up and you realize, okay, I've spent every amount of energy, I've spent everything I've got on trying to attain this, I've attained, and it doesn't do for me what I thought it was going to do. But what if in that realization that this is not going to do for me what I thought it was going to do, that real revelation, the thing that came to you, the thing that was revealed to you was so great that rather than depressing you, it energized you and clarified the reason for your existence. Be a lot different, wouldn't it? If you got to that place where you realize everything that I've done, everything I've worked for, everything I've gone after has done nothing for me, it couldn't do what it promised. In fact, I was in error my whole life since the time I was an infant. And yet, what brought you to that realization was so great that it energized you, that it brought focus to your life, and it gave you life, and it gave you hope for the future. Because see, that's what happened to the apostle Paul. Paul, a man who wrote most of the New Testament, most of the books of the New Testament. Um, that's what happened to him. Paul was a Jewish guy and Jewish people had very strict laws that they lived by, very strict religious rules that they lived by. And, and Paul um, lived by those rules. In fact, the apostle Paul spent all of his life, um, most of his adult life, all of his childhood trying to be a good Jew trying to please God through all of his efforts, trying to please God through his synagogue attendance, which would have been like us going to church, tried to please God through uh, scripture reading, prayer, doing all the right things. And the apostle Paul was good at this. In fact, he was passing all of his peers in this and, and, and he was recognized as, as this great Jewish person for all the good things that he was doing. But in the pinnacle of Paul's career in this religious system that he was in, Paul comes to this place of realizing that it was all a waste of time. 
He realized that all of his efforts, all of his sweat, all of the the, the working could not do for him what he thought it could do. And the reason he realized that is because he met Christ. He came into a face-to-face introduction to Jesus. And it happened on the road to Damascus. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9 when Paul meets Jesus. And it was so impactful for Paul that it changed the entire course of his life. It changed the entire direction of his life. And he began to go a different direction, which is what happens when we come into a relationship with Jesus. Is we're going this way, we meet him, and we begin to go a different way. That's what the nature of repentance is. We no longer follow our own way. We begin to follow Jesus and his way. And this happened in Paul's life so much so that he gave his entire life to preaching the gospel. He gave his entire life. Listen, this is so important. This is so important. Not preaching rules and religion, but pointing people to Christ. He gave his whole life to say, listen, guys, understand this. This is about a relationship with Jesus. It's about a relationship with a loving heavenly father that loves you. And see, don't let that just go over your head. You need to hear that today because it's easy for us to think, well, he loves the person to the left and to the right and behind me, but he doesn't love me. No, God loves you. And Paul spent his life telling people about that. In fact, he did it so well that he became the greatest evangelist and the greatest missionary who's ever lived. He spread the gospel to the entire known world at that time. And and he brought people, I mean, tons of people to Christ. And he began to lay a foundation for the church to build on. He did this so much, in fact, that he was in prison. He was beaten by people who were intimidated by him and by Christ. To the point that finally he had his head cut off for this faith. But he gave his life to it. And he realized in that encounter with Jesus that All of this stuff I've been doing, this work towards being what was called a Pharisee, one of the Jewish religious leaders, this work towards becoming this Jewish Pharisee, it couldn't do for me what I thought it could do. But how many of us are like that, that we chase after all of these things, even religious and godly things, thinking that they can satisfy when the one who can truly satisfy is God himself? And Paul's telling these Philippians in chapter 3, he's saying, listen, this is what he spent his whole life doing, bringing people back to the gospel, bringing people back to Jesus and pointing their eyes back on him, maybe for the first time, maybe repeatedly for others. And we pick up in Philippians chapter 3, remember there's three things I told you last week that you need to know about Paul when he's writing to Philippians. The first one is he loves these people dearly. He's literally laying down his life for them that they might know Christ and grow in their relationship with him. Two, he's he's asking them to continue their perseverance and their their perseverance in, in the gospel and their partnership in the gospel with him. And three, he's pointing them back to Christ and the joy that comes from a relationship with Christ. And so as we pick up in Philippians chapter three, we're going to look at this and talk about this. It's found on those things a little bit. So Philippians chapter three, verse one, look at this. Paul begins this chapter, these people he loves, that he's encouraging to remain in the gospel. He says, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And he says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. So he's saying, rejoice in the Lord. What's he pointing them to? Jesus, rejoice in your relationship in Christ. Don't be pushed into this mold that we're going to see later that these people called Judaizers who would come in and and try to tell these Christian believers, these Gentile believers, if you don't do these Jewish things, then you're not really part of the, the, the people of God. He's saying, don't let them steal your joy in Christ. Rejoice in the Lord. Focus on your relationship with Jesus. 
And he says, to write the same things to you is no trouble. In other words, I've been telling you this over and over, but it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me to, to, to have to reemphasize this point because this is the point. Is the relationship with Christ. Rejoice in him. Know him. Love him. Grow in him. Rejoice in the Lord and in your relationship and your right standing with him. He says, it's no trouble for me and for you. It's safe. It's safe for you. Some translations say it's a safeguard. In other words, this is the best thing I can possibly tell you. Every Sunday that I stand up here, my goal is to point you back to Jesus. Because if Jesus gets in you, he will work what he wants to out of you. That's the point. Is Jesus. There is no greater point. We've been criticized because all we ever do is preach the gospel. What else do you want me to tell you? There is no other message. If I get up here and preach something other than the gospel, I should be fired. Because it's the greatest news ever heard by man. It's the greatest news ever given by God. If you look over in verse 2, he says, look out for the dogs. See, Jews used to call Gentiles dogs. Paul's flipping it around. He's saying, look out for the dogs. Look out for those people who want to come in. And he says, look out for the evildoers, those who want to come in and mutilate the flesh. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. It sounds like he's warning them about like Freddy Krueger or or this Friday the 13th. Here comes Jason, right? And he's like, look out for those people that mutilate the flesh. But what he's talking about is circumcision. He said, these people want to come in and they want to cause you Gentiles to be circumcised because that was a sign that God had given the Jewish people that they were the people of God. And it was a sign that they wore in their bodies to say, yes, I follow God. I follow Yahweh. He is my God. He said, but listen, they're just mutilating the flesh because what they want to do is push you into this cultural mold that they've established and that that no longer really is valid because of Christ. They want to push you into this mold and they want to change the way you look on the outside, but they have no power to change anything on the inside. He said, look out for them. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of God to do any true work in your heart. So watch out for these people. Don't give in to them. Stay focused. Rejoice in the Lord. He says in verse 3, for we are the circumcision, right? For we are the circumcision. In other words, we are the true people of God. Those who have been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. Those who have trusted in Jesus' righteousness and his sacrifice for for, um, their salvation, not in what they could do for themselves. He's saying, for we are the circumcision. We are the people of God. He says, who worship by the spirit of God. What's he mean by he worshiped by the spirit of God? He said, we don't worship God by doing all of these ceremonial things like like synagogue attendance slash church attendance. We don't worship God to, 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 to read our Bibles or to pray or do all these things to try to please God. We worship God. We do the church thing. We go to worship. We read our Bibles. We pray not because we have to please him, but because in Jesus, we're already pleasing to him. Because now we can come boldly before the throne of grace because of what Christ has done. And so many times, it's yes, we, we, we should attend church. We should not forsake the gathering together of believers, right? We should all come together. We should read our Bibles, absolutely. We should pray, absolutely. We should go to Bible study. We should go to connect groups, absolutely. We should do all of those things. But what Paul is saying, we do those things because of the Spirit in us, because Jesus is in us, because of His love in us. We do that not so that we can be loved, but because we are loved. And God has placed His Spirit in us. He's invested His Spirit in us. And that Spirit within us cries out, Abba, Father, Daddy, 
And there's something in us that moves us closer to Him. And we worship by the Spirit, not through ceremonial laws and all these things trying to make ourselves pleasing to God. No one will ever be pleasing to God on their own. It's only through Christ and the blood He shed on the cross as He was a sacrifice for our sin. He says, and we were who, who worship by the Spirit of God and, the, and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, we glory in Jesus, not in what we do. We glory in what Jesus did. We worship what he's done. We put our confidence in what he's done, not in the the righteous chips I can stack up on my side. So many of us live this way. If I can stack up more righteous chips on this side than bad chips on this side, then somehow I'll be pleasing to God. And it's just not true. Do you know the most righteous deeds we can do according to scripture is like filthy rags before God. We can never be pleasing to him. That's why we should want to worship him so much when we realize what Jesus has done for us. We recognize how far we, we, how short we come when we come to God. We, we, we don't fall into despair and condemnation as a Christian. We go into worship because we, we realize how big the gap is that Jesus has bridged from us to God. And we live from this freedom of forgiveness and, and, and love and grace that God's poured out into our hearts through Jesus. And then verse four is when it really starts to get interesting. Like if Paul's, if Paul's preaching this, like this is when he just starts shouting, right? He just started getting pumped up. He just started like getting all goosebumpy and stuff. And so Paul in verse four says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. In other words, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, why don't you bring your religious resume and you go get these false prophets and you go get these false teachers and you go get these false apostles who are telling you all this stuff. Let's stack their resume up against my resume. Let's get their religious resume and let's, let's compare it to mine because theirs can't hold a candle to mine. I've done all the right things. I've done it in the right way. And the bottom line is if righteousness could be attained through works, then I would have it, but it cannot. And it's only through Christ. And so Paul starts to throw his spiritual weight around just a little bit. And so listen to verse 5 as Paul begins to tell them all the stuff that would be considered as his religious resume. Verse 5 says this, circumcised on the eighth day. It's easy to fly by that little section right there, but we need to stop there. Because this is basically what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, I was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, I grew up in church. That's basically what Paul's saying. From the beginning of my life, my parents... And I did things the right way. I followed the law, even to being circumcised on the eighth day. All my life I grew up in church. There's a lot of people here today. You grew up in church, but have you ever met Christ? That's my question. Just growing up in church doesn't give us salvation. Growing up in church doesn't give us um, satisfaction. Growing up in church doesn't sanctify our lives. It doesn't change us. Only Jesus and a relationship with Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit giving us a new heart gives us new life. On into verse 5, he says, Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, this is what Paul's saying. I came from the right people. Not only did, did I grow up in church and I did all the right Christian things, but I came from the right people. How many of you have ever been asked, who's your parents? Like in the South, we get that question a lot. Who's, who's your parents? Like we were the first, like, who's your daddy before it became like a, whatever, you know what I mean? Before it was like, and, you know, just a saying or whatever, a song or whatever, right? And so it's like, I used to get that. We moved here in 1985. I realized most of you were not born in 1985, so hush. And 
we moved here in 1985, and it was the first question most people would ask me. I'd meet somebody, like, how you doing? And I knew what question was coming. Who's your parents? We're not from here. I just started, I started just to go, you know, we're not from here. I don't have a road named after me. And it's like, I'm, I'm a nobody, okay? And, and so it's all about who, who, who'd you come from? And for the Jews, this was very important. And so many times in church, it's about who we know. It's not as much about knowing God. It's not so much about the fact that he knows us. It's about who do we know? How do I look to these people? Is it all, you know, is, is it the way it's supposed to be? On the outside, does my life look like what it's supposed to look like? And Paul's saying, listen, even down to the people I came from, my life was in line. It was right. And then he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and this is interesting. He says, as to the law, a Pharisee. And that is a loaded statement. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. Because see, here's the thing. Paul, as a Pharisee, would have gone into strict training even as a young boy. So much so that he would have been adhering to all these laws, all of these things that people were telling him he had to do in order to be right with God, in order to be okay with with God. And he was doing all of this stuff even to the point where he would like bathe like three times, right? And this was as a boy. I have three boys. Getting them to bathe one time is a chore. I can't even hardly get them. We're just finally just like, you know what? You can bathe next week, whatever, right? He was bathing like three times a day. Washing his hands ceremonially, doing all this stuff, trying to be pleasing to God. And he goes, listen, as according to a Pharisee and to the law, I was, I was good. I did it right. A Pharisee memorized the first five books of the Bible. First five books. Right? Most of us don't know five verses. He memorized the first five books. Have you ever read Leviticus? You want to memorize that? You ever read uh, Numbers, right? You want to memorize that? He had memorized the first five books of the Bible, all of this stuff. To him was earning respect. It was earning righteousness with God. It was making himself right. He observed all these things as a Pharisee, as to the law, upholding it all. He says in verse 6, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. You know, sometimes there are people who are zealous and, and quote, zealous for Jesus who actually persecute the church. I know this because I was one of them, right? When, when, when I first got saved, I, I thought, I went away like on a retreat on Thursday and I was the biggest hellion in Statesboro. When I came back on Monday, I couldn't understand why everybody didn't love Jesus, Right? I'm like, why are you talk like that? Don't you know Jesus is going to judge you? You know what I'm saying? It was like, I just, it was this, oh, this transition. And I just became this huge judgmental person. I had passion. I had zeal. But you know what I did? I judged people. I didn't bring them closer to Christ. I pushed them away because I was this misdirected person. And even though I came into a relationship with Jesus, so much of it was still about me. That it wasn't about other people coming to know him or growing in him. It was about me and how well I could exalt me, how I could show my religious knowledge, how I could make everybody think I was so smart, right? And many of us are in here today and we know a lot about God, but the question is, do we know God? Are we persecuting his church through judgment? Are we growing in the knowledge of him, but in a way that's experiential, right? Not just where we know things. A lot of times I see people who they get saved and six months, a year after they're saved, what happens is they become the biggest judge. And and it's amazing to me. I'll have college students who have been saved for six months, walk into my office and tell me what I should be preaching. And I'm like, do you realize how arrogant you sound right now? 
It's like you, you got saved, got an ESV study Bible, listened to three John Piper sermons, and then you want to have a PhD in theology. What? Are we bringing people closer to Christ or are we pushing them away? Because here's the thing I see. Sinners love to be around Jesus. Do the unchurched and unchristian like to be around you? Because of how you treat them, how you act, how you love them. Are we bringing people to him or pushing them away? Are we persecuting the church through our judgmental attitudes, our self-righteousness? Are we forgetting that our only righteousness comes through faith in Christ? He goes on the last one, says this, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. In other words, I have held everything. If you were to look at my record, you couldn't find anything that you could tell me I had done wrong. You couldn't look at anything and tell me that it didn't look right. Everything looked good. I had it all together. And tell me if you grew up in church, tell me if this does not sound like your church experience. Everybody looked good on the outside, but everybody was dying on the inside, right? Everybody's like, how are you? Blessed and highly favored by the most high God, right? And on the end, they're going home, they're fighting with their wives, their kids are running. It's just crazy. But we come to church and we put on our best suit and then we put on our best mask, And we act like everything's okay. And church should be the one place where we can come and we can bear our warts, we can bear our scars, we can lay it all out on the table and say, I need help. Because none of us have it together. And shame on us to ever look down our nose at people because they don't have it together. We should be the most welcoming place on the face of the planet. In other words, if you sign up to greet, you should actually do it. Because we're welcoming people who don't know Christ. We're opening our arms to say, listen, you may be misdirected, you may be lost, you may not know who you are, but we can tell you who we are. You may be searching for answers, we have the answer, the one answer, and his name is Jesus. That's what we're here for. That's why we're here. That's what we started this church for. To reach those people. And Paul said, listen, I was spotless, I was blameless, but it couldn't do anything for me. Paul held up all of his trophies in these verses. He held up all of these trophies and he said, they couldn't do for me what I thought they could do. Listen, as he goes on, this is basically what he does. He holds up all of this religious resume and all these accomplishments that he made in his life. And then in verse 7 through 11, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. My question is, do you know him? Do you know him in such a way that everything else begins to fade away? That when it comes down to a choice of, of following Jesus or going a different way that there's a love in you that pulls you towards him not that we don't ever wonder we do but there's something in us that says i gotta have him i gotta talk to him i gotta know him i gotta be in a relationship with him he says it surpasses everything else he says for his sake i've suffered the loss of all things and i count them as rubbish in order that i may gain christ As that sentence is so powerful, it's easy to read it in English and not catch the significance of it. But basically what he's saying is all of this stuff that I have, all of this stuff I've done, all of this stuff I've attained, all of this stuff is like dung. That's the literal translation, excrement, like animal excrement. He's saying basically, listen, this is basically what my religious resume is in comparison to knowing Christ and all these achievements. It's like a big pile of poo, right? That's what it is. When I come to the knowledge of Christ and I'm in this relationship with him, none of it mattered. He says, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law because that is no righteousness, basically. 
But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that I may by any means possible attain to the resurrection of the dead. Even when it comes to suffering, it's better to know Christ than not. That no matter what comes, it's better to know Christ, that I can rest in him. And Paul holds up all of these trophies and he says, listen, all of this is like dung. We went out to some friend's house. We got a puppy. Went out to their house. They got some big chicken houses. And, and, and they had chicken poo everywhere. Right? And they had it piled up in one place. And, and so we tried to get my boys to go play King of the Hill on the chicken poo. Right? And I would have probably let them do it. Mama probably not. But... But that's what Paul's saying is all of this stuff I've achieved, all this work I've done, all these religious attributes and accolades, they don't mean anything. I started thinking about it. I started thinking about some of my own trophies and some of my own things that that I have here. And and I went back and actually dug through the attic, which was a trip. I mean, I found a plaque from 1994, right? Senior in high school, 1994. If you laugh, I will throw this thing at you. I promise. 1994. um, Baseball uh, captain, 1994. Um, That was a long time ago. Um, And and then I found this. This one kind of cracks me up. Um, This was when I was a freshman. uh, MVP freshman team. uh, 1993 in football, I won the commitment to excellence award hey you know what's funny about that though I went to four workouts all summer it was like four or five workouts I went to all summer and somehow I got voted commitment to excellence I still don't know how that happened I think they ran out of like seniors to give them to so they're just like well let's give him this one right and so they gave me that one but I had all these trophies. I, I loved baseball. I earned these trophies. I remember getting my first trophy. It was like 1983. And I still got my, my Huddle House trophy on the first baseball team that I ever played on. And I was looking at it the other day. And I remember getting that first trophy and thinking, I'm going to get a lot more of these. I like this. They called my name. I, you know, I went out there and got my trophy. It was awesome. I got my trophy. But you know what happened? Is that it never satisfied. It never satisfied. In fact, when I got to college, I wasn't very good. And I played on a team with people a lot better than me. And you know what I found is that that couldn't satisfy me any longer. And and, and it was never going to do for me what I thought it would do. So you know what I did? I started working harder in the classroom. Because the one thing I knew is there were were some good athletes on my team. Not such good students, right? And so I was like, I can beat them in the classroom. And so I did that. I went to school, man. I got this degree from Georgia Southern. And look, if you look right here, it'll it'll show you how hard I worked. Because you know I'm not that smart. Look at that thing right there. Y'all know what that means? That means honors, right? Honors, yeah. And so I studied hard, and I thought maybe I can make it. Maybe I can earn a lot of money one day when I graduate. And then, you know what? That didn't really do it. And I started getting into ministry. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to be a good pastor, I definitely got to have another degree. So I went back, and I got my master's degree in ministerial leadership. And I I earned that thing, and I worked real hard for it. And you know what? That didn't satisfy me either. And so I thought for sure, once I got into full-time ministry about a decade ago, that I was going to be happy. Because how could you not be happy? Happy working at a church. Ha! If you're going to go into ministry so you'll be happy, you need to come talk to me. Because it won't satisfy either. In fact, I thought about this one last trophy that, that I had, and I printed it out today, and I went back all the way to 2009 when we, we started this church. 
And and we started our first Sunday service. We've been meeting a little while before this, but our first Sunday service was February 1st of 2009. And and on that day, we had 73 people show up in a little bitty building over behind Burger King. 73 people. 18 of them were kids and 55 of them were adults. And I can show you with the exception of about five Sundays, how many people have attended this church over the last five years? And I went back and I began to think about that. And you know, there was this lie that was inside of me early on that if we could get to 125, it would satisfy. I would feel like I was a success. And we got to 125 and I was like, maybe 100 more people and I'd feel good about it. And we got to 225 and we got on and then it was 500 and then it was 800. You know what I finally realized? People don't make me happy. A bigger church doesn't satisfy me. You know what satisfies me? Jesus. Whether we've got four or 4,000, Jesus is the only thing that's satisfied. I went back and looked. Last week, we had 1,182 people that worshiped in this church, in this auditorium, or in the kids' area, one way or another, last week. But the thing I can tell you is that this is not able to satisfy my soul. The only consistent joy, the only consistent happiness I have comes from a relationship with Christ. No trophies, no religious accolades, no religious effort, nothing can take the place of our relationship with Jesus. It's all about knowing him today. Do you know him? If you, if you are saved and you know Christ, are you living from that relationship with him? If you don't know him, what are you waiting on? God is speaking into your heart right now, inviting you to a relationship. Well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. Right? If Jesus can say, this is why I'm so passionate about evangelism. If Jesus can save me, he can save anybody. I dare say I was the most cynical person. You may think you're cynical, you didn't know me about God. You may think you're cynical about you didn't know me. You may think you had run far away from me, you didn't know me. There's no gap between you and God that is so big that Jesus hasn't bridged it through the cross. That's the truth. So what are you waiting on? And the question is this, do you know him? Do you know him today? Do you know him today? And I want to give you three more things real quick, and then we're going to sing a song. We're going to go. Listen, three more things. How do I know if I'm in a relationship with him? Well, there's three things. There's probably more, and you could probably say, well, you forgot about this. Don't tell me that, really. All right. There's three things that every good relationship, every healthy relationship has. And the first one is this. The first one is an introduction. Right? You ever been in a relationship with somebody that you were never introduced to? No, you haven't. How many of you are married in here? You, you raise your hand. You, all right. How many of you keep your hand? Keep, keep, keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. How many of you have a boyfriend or girlfriend? Raise your hand. How many of you have a best friend? Raise your hand. Pretty much everybody. You met those people, right? There was an introduction, right? And so the reality of it is, we, we remember when we met those people. Men, you better remember when you met your wife. If not, you better find out when it is because she's going to ask you after this service. And you better be able to tell her. And I can remember when I met my wife. And you may wonder why am I holding, holding a solo cup. No, but it's not because it has my favorite beverage in it. It's because I have a point I want to make with it. And the point is this. I can remember the day that I met my wife. And even though it was almost a quarter of a century ago. I look good for 68, don't I? 
quarter of a century. And I remember the night that I met her. In fact, one of my best friends was trying to date her and I stole him. I asked his permission. But I remember talking to her. We had a red solo cup and we were taking it. We would tear it and, and we would, we would, it was just like that nervous like excitement of wanting to talk to you, but I really don't know how to talk to you. So I was like, well, you know, this could be like an octopus. And I'd tear it and, you know, and we sit there. <laughs> And then I'd be like, or you can do it like a hat, <laughs> you know? And so we sat there tearing this cup and making it into all this stuff. But I can remember it like it was yesterday, standing in the backyard of a friend's house, talking to her. I remember when I met her. I remember when I was introduced to her. I remember talking to her like it was yesterday. And if I can remember that about my wife, who is awesome, who is excellent, I got to be careful here, who is amazing. But she's not God. I mean, you kind of are to me, wherever you're at, but... But if I can remember that about her, how much more meeting the God of the universe? Do you know you've met him? Do you know? Do you know him today? The second thing that each one of us has as we are in a relationship with somebody, a healthy relationship, a relationship that's growing, is there's an investment. There's an investment. Jesus, God the Father, he made a great investment into us with Christ. He sent his son, he invested him into our lives that we could come to know him, that we can know the father. He made a great investment when Jesus ascended to the right hand of God and now he makes intercession. He prays for us. He intercedes on our behalf to God and now he sent the Holy Spirit back as another investment into our lives that tells us that we are the child of God. He's made a great investment. Are you investing in the relationship? I'm not asking you, are you going through religious activity? I'm asking you, are you investing in the relationship with Jesus? Do you read your Bible to spend time with Jesus? Do you pray to spend time with Jesus? Do you go to church to worship Jesus and grow closer to Jesus? Do you do all of these religious things, these activities to grow closer to Jesus? Or maybe we need to start with doing them. Do we do them at all, right? Do we do them? So that we can grow closer to him, grow in that relationship with him. Let me ask you this. Those of you who are married, and one day you can imagine this if you're not married. How many of you today would say that if you are married, many of you are, if you are married and you showed up at home for an hour and 15 minutes a week and the rest of the week you just did what you wanted to. How many of you think that would last very long? About a week, right? Hour 15, you're out the door doing what you want to do, come back home. That's how church is for a lot of us. There's no relationship. It's like a spiritual one-hour stand. We come in hoping to have our needs met, and then we just walk out the door, and we don't have any relationship afterwards. And the reality of it is Christianity, our faith, Jesus, is so much more than that. It's knowing the God of the universe. It's knowing the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who gave his life for you. And if there was one thing I could ask of him right now, it would be that the light of Christ would shine in your hearts. I can't make that happen. And I was begging God before this service just to let the light of Christ shine in your life. I don't know most of your names, but I love you and I want Jesus' light to shine in you. I want you to know the joy of a relationship with him. I want you to know the power of Jesus and the power of the resurrection that can take the worst of sinners and raise him to life, raise him out of the mud, raise him out of the muck and change his heart and set him on a firm path, a firm foundation that changes his life forever. I want you to know that God. I want his light to shine in you. Have you met him? Has there been an introduction? Are you investing in the relationship the way God's invested in you? 
And the last one is enjoyment. You got to invest. You got introduction. You got enjoyment, right? I wish it started with an I. All three of them, right there. Enjoyment, any healthy relationship, it has its challenges, but it also brings joy. Are you living from joy in the Lord? Are you doing what Paul said at the very beginning of this text where he said, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in your relationship. Are you enjoying Jesus? Are you enjoying your relationship with a father that loves you? A perfect daddy who promises never to leave you nor forsake you who will be a better daddy to you than you could ever imagine. Are you enjoying him? Have you met him? Has there been an introduction? Are you investing in the relationship and are you enjoying Jesus? Are you enjoying the fellowship that comes with the Spirit of God living in you? My fear is that many of us are missing the joy of what it means to to follow Christ. For a bunch of rules and a bunch of things that cannot change you. They can modify your behavior, but they cannot change your heart. There's so much more to this, guys. And I want you to have it. And right now, I'm just going to launch into this. In just a second, I want to ask you, if you have not met him and you feel him pulling on your heart today and saying, I want to know you. And your response is, yeah, I want to know you. I want to be yours and I want you to be mine, right? Then I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. It's the best decision you've ever made. We're a family. We're here to love you, to welcome you into the body of Christ. So today you don't know anybody. If you know him, you need to be praying, praying that people would take this step. Today you don't know him, but God has spoken to your heart and you realize that his light is shining on you and it may be the size of a pinhead, but today you would say, I need to know him. I'm going to ask you right now, you stand to your feet. Right here in front of everybody. Stand to your feet because it's the best decision you'll ever make. It's the best thing you'll ever do. I don't know where they're at. Wave at me. Amen. Who else? You just know that God is speaking to you. I'm going to ask you if you would come pray with Eric. Eric, will you walk up there and get this gentleman and pray with him? Who else? You, you know, I need Jesus. I need Christ today. I need to know the Lord. I've been around church all my life, and yet there's no joy. I know I haven't met him. There are many of you sitting there right now, and you know, you know, you know that God's tugging on your heart. Why wouldn't you respond? Here's the other thing I know. There are people in here today who you started out well. You started out in the faith. You started out in Christ. problem is somewhere you took your eyes off of him and you quit rejoicing in your relationship with him and you began to work to please him. Did you know that if you're in Christ, God loves you. You have the righteousness of Jesus. Enjoy God. Let him change you from the inside out. You cannot follow Jesus and not change. If we'll focus on him, he'll resurrect our lives. He'll change our hearts. We have to focus on him. We're about to sing. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. During this song, listen, 
I want to do this. I'm going to ask our prayer team during this song, you go over here to the doors. These doors over to my left, your right. We say it almost every week. I'm going to ask them to go over there because this is what I want to do. During this song, you need prayer. You, you, your relationship stale. I want you to walk out there. Some of you, if you just need to get before God, you come right here and you can kneel and you can pray and you can worship. But I'm going to challenge you. Listen, take your next step and go let somebody get with you and walk this life out with you. Let them meet you, introduce you, maybe reintroduce you to Christ. It may be a rededication, whatever you want to call it but put your eyes back on Jesus let us pray for you so we stand and we sing you walk I'm going to pray you move if you want to come to the front you come if you want to go be prayed for out there my prayer is that you would go out there and let us pray with you and walk with you let's pray God thank you so much for today thank you for your life and grace in our lives Lord do what only you can do today Lord change our hearts work on us from the inside Jesus we surrender ourselves to you we trust you Lord You are good and you are worthy of our praise and I pray you'll receive that now. Give us courage to take our next step, whether it's to be prayed for, whether it's to come to the altar, whatever it is, God, whatever the Spirit is telling us, Lord, I pray that we would respond. We love you, Father, and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' awesome, mighty name we pray.